Hey, I'm just happy. I, I look back at the clock. Well, six o'clock, so they were right. But, but I look back at the clock. Actually, no, maybe it is. Uh, and it's not 11:20 already. You know, I got up last week, and I'm like, what happened here? And so we're in good shape. We're in part two of probably a three-part. Uh, I kind of changed some things around in this lesson from last week. So we're going to uh, actually go probably three parts on this modesty and appropriateness uh, to make sure we don't have to rush it through and talk about everything that I want to talk about. And I know that it's something that when you talk about modesty and appropriateness, it sometimes tends to suck the air out of some, some congregations because sometimes people start to squirm in their seats a little bit and maybe it's not something that uh, they necessarily always want to hear about. But I'm here to tell you, the Lord's Church, the denominational churches, the world, we got a problem. And it's because we don't know what God's standard is, and we're going to talk about that standard, continue to talk about that here this morning. You know, we should never be uh, afraid to talk about the difficult uh, topics. We should never be, uh, be afraid to preach on the difficult topics. Because at the end of the day, we need to preach you know, the whole uh, mystery of God, right? We need to preach all the oracles of God. And so we need to make sure that we're never uh, uh, straying away from anything because it may be unpopular or unpopular. And so this morning, I thank you for being here. I want to thank those that are online watching us from home. Uh, we just want to thank all those who are visiting with us. You're our honored guest. If you have any questions at the conclusion of this lesson, if you have questions about how we worship, why we worship, you know, the various aspects of worship that may be different than you're used to, ask questions. We'd love to answer those questions for you. So today we're going to get into modesty and appropriateness part two. And as we do, I'm going to uh, just kind of do a little brief recap for last week for those of you who weren't here. Last week we started with John chapter 21 and we looked at verse 7. And we started to see how when the men were in the boat fishing, right? They're in the boat fishing, they're fishing all night, they haven't caught anything. And, uh, and, and it's just one of those nights, as I said last week. And all of a sudden, a man comes strolling down the beach of the Sea of Tiberias, Galilee, same thing, one and the same. And, and it's Jesus, right? But they don't necessarily know it's Jesus right away. And he says, my children, have you caught a fish? Have, did, you, did you get a catch of fish? No, no. And he says, do me a favor, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get a catch. And they cast it on the right side, and they get, just, they get as many fish as they've, ever, as they've ever caught before. And so all of a sudden, John looks over at Peter and says, hey, it's the Lord. Peter, all excited, and Peter being kind of impetuous like he is, he, he throws on his outer garment, he jumps into the sea, and it says they're about 100 yards out, he swims. He swims to the shore instead of just getting the paddle out. Hey, that was Peter, right? And uh, he was the type of guy that often spoke before he thought, and so we know that that was Peter. He swims to the shore, but the point was he put his outer garment on before he went. That's not something that you would normally do. It's not something that a, a normal individual would do. And so I proposed the idea last week. Surely nobody in their right mind thought that Peter put on his outer garment to swim to the shore because he thought Christ Jesus was going to lust after him, right? I mean, that's something that I proposed last week. Nobody in their right mind would have that thought. But brethren, as we discussed it uh, last week, it had to do with appropriateness. And so then we uh, jumped over and we looked at Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We've seen that God created man and woman. Uh, he, uh, a woman was created in the, uh, in the image and likeness. or not, we, we were both created in the image and likeness of God. But uh, God took one of the ribs of Adam and he uh, fashioned the woman. She's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman, right? And it says they were both naked and unashamed, unafraid. And then all of a sudden something drastic happens. Chapter 3, you just flip the page and all of a sudden they're, they're naked. Still, and yet now they're ashamed and afraid. Well, what had happened? 
Well, we know that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know that sin had entered into the picture. We know that their minds had been opened up. And all of a sudden, even though they were unashamed and, uh, and unafraid a moment ago, now they're naked and ashamed, naked and afraid. They decide to make loin coverings. And the loin coverings was just something as what we would probably call a modern-day Speedo. And so they make this, their, their, their version of the Speedo, and then God comes on the scene. But they realized even themselves that it wasn't good enough. And so they still did what? They hid themselves when they heard the Lord walking in the cool of the garden. And so they hid themselves. And God says, hey, where are you at? You know, you ask one of those rhetorical questions. It's kind of like when you ask your kid, hey, what happened? And you know what happened, but they, you, know, you just want to hear it from them. And so they eat. They said, hey, uh, we're naked and we're afraid, so we hid ourselves. Well, who told you you were naked? And so, brethren, that's the point, right? They sinned against God. They rebelled against God's command. Their minds were open. They have this newfound knowledge. They realized that how they were, uh, the, the dress that they had created for themselves was still inappropriate. It was still immodest. It was still inappropriate. And thus they hid from God. And so God made them coats of skin because God looked at what they had made and he says, you know what? You're right. You were right to hide. You were right to be afraid. You were right to be ashamed because it's not good enough. And so God kills animals, and he kills the animals, and he makes coats of skin, did he not? And he makes coats of skin, and you look at the, the Hebrew word and the, and the definition for it, it goes from the top of the shoulder to the, uh, to the bottom of the thigh. So you're basically shoulder to knee, right? And that was the standard that God had made for the human race. It wasn't for the Jews, because the Jews don't come around for another 3,000 years, give or take, right? And so it was for the human race. And we know that that was God's given standard. His divine approved standard for modesty and appropriateness was covering for both men and women, top of the shoulder to the top of the knee. And so, brethren, remember that it didn't matter if it didn't matter uh, uh, in regards to these skins of coats or these coats of skins. Then why did God kill the animals in the first place? It mattered because they were dressed inappropriate and they even realized the inappropriateness of their lack of clothing because they were only partially covered and thus they were called naked. Naked doesn't necessarily always mean nude, right? There's a difference. You could be uh, partially clothed and still be considered naked in God's eyes, which we see that throughout Scripture. You see, brethren, as we look at the guidelines for all mankind, uh, we understand that, that there are those who will say, but you know, Dave, you know, there's always been cultures, right, where things are a little bit different, right? You go to some of these remote places of Africa, and they basically got the fig leaves, right? They got the fig leaf thing going on. And then you go to other places in the Middle East, and they're covered from, like, head to toe. And then, you know, there's always these different various cultures around the world with different standards, different traditions, different customs that are acceptable to men, uh, whether it be dress, behavior, or speech. And that you'll see this throughout time. And I say, yes, you are correct. But look at the passage on the screen behind me. As we look at this first passage on the screen behind me, Jim, the little clicker's not working. If you can hit that for me. Uh, sec or Acts chapter 17 is the first one that we're going to look at. Acts 17, 24 through 27. Notice what this says. The God who made the world and all things in it. Did you catch that? The God who made the world and all things in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands... Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. 
since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. For he had made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek after God, if perhaps they might even grope for him, reach out for him, to look for him, to find him. He is not far from each of us. Brethren, the point of that passage there in Acts chapter 17 is to see that God is the creator. God had made all things and thus has authority over all things, and we must seek after God. So brethren, I want you to think about that passage, right? Because God's standard was the standard for thousands of years. And that was the shoulders to the top of the knee. You remember even uh, Joseph, right? Potiphar's wife. She tries to rip off his garment because for, for weeks or months she's been trying to seduce him, trying to get, her, get, her, get him to have a sexual relationship with her. And what do we see? He kept rejecting her. He, he kept rejecting her. Why? He says, uh, far be it for me to sin against God to sleep with you because you're another man's wife. Or another, uh, uh, yeah, you're another man's wife. And so we know that she uh, catches him in the house and she rips off his outer garment. And he runs out and he's just in his undergarment. And all of a sudden, what do we see, right? Then he ends up in jail because she complains that he was trying to force me into some sexual type of relationship. And he ends himself up in jail. But we understand, brethren, that what was Joseph wearing? He was wearing still the tunic and he was wearing the outer garment. And then you fast forward uh, thousands of years at the time of Christ, they're still wearing the tunic, right? They're still wearing the outer garment. Brethren, it's not really until the last two, three hundred years. If you actually go online, and I started doing this, and I was playing century by century, you know, dress, and, and how, what was appropriate. It really, it's really gotten bad in the last 60 years. You looked 60 years ago just here in America compared to today, and it, a vast difference. But it's really these last two, three hundred years in Western culture that things had started to change. Now, granted, in every culture, in every generation, there have always been those people that go the way of man, right? There's ways that seem right to men, and then what? In the end, it leads to death. What is it talking about? Not physical death, sometimes, but it's talking about spiritual death. It's talking about sin. It's talking about a separation uh, because of the sin from us and a holy and righteous God. So I want you to consider something. As we think about this and how uh, all throughout generations there has always been acceptable to men various cultures, uh, various manners of dress, various manners of behavior, various manners of speech, customs and traditions of men. I, I wonder, and I bet that Sodom and Gomorrah, I bet you they probably had some different customs. I bet you they probably had some different traditions. How did that work out for them? Oh, that's right. God decided to uh, wipe them from the face of the earth. He decided to destroy them. Oh, well, then you think about the millions, the hundreds of millions of people uh, that were estimated, maybe even as much as a billion people that were on the planet uh, before the Ark of Noah. I'm sure they probably had some customs and traditions and standards that probably seemed acceptable to man. Well, what was that happened to them? Oh, that's right. God decided to, well, destroy every living thing that lived on the planet. Because why? It says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the face of the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of their heart was evil continuously. What is the point? The point is they continue to go against God's standard, and that has been the example throughout all of history. 
throughout all of humanity for all time. For wickedness and evil are synonyms of sin. And so, which, is, which means, which is defined as anything that's contrary to God's standard. So brethren, all people are God's creation and thus accountable to God, accountable to his standard. So when God gives a guideline, when he gives a standard, did he expect it to be followed? Wasn't that the reason he wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah? Wasn't that the reason he killed every living thing on the planet, both man and animal, beast? So, we, so what's the point? Well, isn't that why we go out and we evangelize the world? Isn't that why we send missionaries into, into the mission field, uh, whether it's here in America or around the world? We, we send them out for what? To speak the word of God, to speak the truth, to bring God's standard to mankind. But when they go out into the world, you're going to find all kinds of man-made standards, man-made traditions, man-made customs that are contrary to God. Well, what are you going to find, Dave? What are you going to find when we go out there? Well, you're going to find the mostly naked in some parts of the world, a.k.a. fig leaf. And you're going to see that in some of the poorer nations. You're going to see that in some of the third world countries. And that's going to be acceptable to their culture. You're going to find Muslims in certain parts of the world that are literally covered from head to toe and you just got some eyeballs that you see. Right? There's one extreme, and then there's the opposite extreme. But then you're going to find other individuals with customs and traditions who drink blood for various religious and various rituals that are happening around the world. You're going to find people committing sex acts in order to worship their idols that they claim to worship. You're going to find people who are involved in cannibalism. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you get the point? Throughout time and throughout human history, there's always been various customs and traditions and things that are acceptable unto man that have always been contrary to God and his teachings. So, brethren, as Christians, what should we do about it? Well, first and foremost, we must teach all these individuals as we go out into America and go out throughout the rest of the world. We must teach them like the Apostle Paul did in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill, that there's one true God who made the world and all the things that are in it. And since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, we teach the people of the world that we teach them the fact that God does not dwell in temples. Uh, made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. We teach them the gospel. We teach them uh, about God's standards for modesty, decency, appropriateness, righteousness. We teach them all that God has commanded us, like he did and like he commanded for the disciples that he sent out in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 through 20. Before God had went, he gave the great commission to go out into the world and teach them all that I have commanded you. You see, brethren, God's standard is, for, is a human standard. It's for the humanity. It's for the human race. Because we're all God's children. We're all God's creation. So yes, you'll find all kinds of man-made customs, traditions, uh, and, and whatever else you want to call them. Uh, in culture and society's changing with each generation. But it doesn't matter if it's against God's commands, we still take the truth to them. For we will all be judged according to his standards. You guys remember what Jesus, uh, what, what Paul says that is going to happen in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, about 6 through 10. He says when Jesus returns in flaming fire with his angels, he's taking vengeance. On who? All who do not know me and all who do not obey. 
He didn't say he was just taking vengeance on Christians. It wasn't just the Jews. It was all mankind. Because we're all beholden to God's standard. So you see, brothers and sisters, it's simple. And we need to understand that as we think about the idea of appropriateness, decency, modesty, God doesn't give us a step-by-step -step guide of how Christians ought to dress uh, in every uh, aspect of life. He doesn't give us a step-by-step -step Christian uh, guide of dress in every situation. But he did uh, give us a, a guideline. He did give us a standard. And that standard was in the first, uh, was in the, it was in the beginning days of the earth when Adam and Eve knew that they were partially covered and thus immodest, inappropriate, and naked. And God says, you are correct, it's not enough. And he gave them a standard. And that standard was for the, for the human race and not just those individuals. And God did that, and God has remained, uh, that standard has remained for all of time. Instead, God gives us guidelines, brethren, for overall righteousness. He doesn't give us a step-by-step -step guide, but he gives us guidelines and he gives us standards so we could uh, understand what overall righteousness is. Another word for righteousness is decency. And so you look at it, brethren, he leaves it up to us to accomplish modesty as well as appropriateness in the way that we as Christians present ourselves to the world. But why would we dare go against the original standard of shoulder to knee? And, and we have, let's just be honest, right? Why do we have much of the clothing that we have? It's designed to accentuate certain parts of the body to be desirable to who? The opposite sex. It's, it's caused to be desirable in, in certain uh, aspects. And so that's how designers buy or, or create these various clothes and then market them to the world. And so, brothers and sisters, ask yourself, how does a Christian remain modest in an immodest world? Well, first and foremost, we must know God's standard. Second, we must know and understand what are the consequences for immodesty or inappropriateness. And third, we must ask ourselves, what is our responsibility? And is it, is it up to us to take a stand against immodesty, whether it's in the church or outside of the church? Because I'm here to tell you this morning that one cannot be modest in an immodest world and not even know what the standard for modesty is. I asked the children this morning. I asked the, the, the high school and the middle school, middle schoolers this morning. I asked, we were talking about sin. We were talking about uh, sin and consequences and different things. And I simply asked them the question, uh, if you don't understand what God's standards are for sin... How do you know if you're living according to God's standard or not? How do you know if you've sinned or not? So you must know God's standard in order to understand what your responsibility is to set standard. And so, brothers and sisters, as we continue to look at this, one cannot be, a, one cannot be modest in an immodest world and not understand what the consequences are for set actions. To take a stand for modesty in all aspects, we must know what God's standards are. So, brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it. That's the hardest part. Isn't it easy to, uh, to stand against murder and robbery? Isn't it easy to stand and oppose lying and cheating? But it's much harder when you try to stand for something that permeates an entire culture. And I'm here to tell you, inappropriateness and, and, and modesty permeates our entire culture in our Western, Western civilization. And so it's harder when taking a stand is going to put you, put you at odds with those you come in contact with. 
It's harder to take a stand against something when you have to stand against something that you're going to receive the scorn or the disapproval of your family, your friends, and your co-workers. It's not easy to always have these conversations, but we do so because we love them and we understand that immodest dress is sin. And we understand that lusting after others is also sin. And we're going to look at that as we further develop this lesson. So brothers and sisters... What is God's standard? What is God's guideline? Well, we've looked at it, right? We've looked at it. And we have to ask ourselves, what do we need to cover up? We have already determined that God's standard for the human race going back to the garden was top of the shoulder to the top of the knee. You might not like it, but that's the standard. And that's what God called, that's what God called appropriate. That's what God called modest. And so if you expose flesh... Between the top of the shoulders and the top of the thigh, we're not talking arms, we're talking torso. If your flesh is exposed, God says it's inappropriate. And I know that because you can look at, really, hundreds of examples throughout Scripture, throughout time, that nakedness, somebody's nakedness was showing even when they were partially covered. And it was always having to do with between the shoulders and the knees. And so, brothers and sisters, if that's what God calls nakedness, should we run around naked as his representatives to the world? Brethren, the next time that we wonder whether our clothing is appropriate, instead of asking, is this, going to make, uh, is this going to cause somebody to lust? Will a woman think something inappropriate if I wear this or vice versa? Ask yourself first, will God find my attitude on my dress and my, uh, my attitude towards what I wear, will he find it uh, uh, acceptable in his sight? Would I, what, what is what I'm wearing going to bring glory to God as being his representative to the world? You see, brethren, that will put, us, that will put matters into uh, their proper perspective. If we ask the right questions, we come to the right answers. If God is taken out of the equation, well, then the rest of it doesn't matter. Then wear whatever you want if you remove God from the equation. But if we want to ignore what God finds appropriate and we're going to do things anyways, then we're going to be found to be living contrary to God's word. And anybody who's ever lived contrary to God's word finds themselves an enemy of God. And I know that because that's what the New Testament teaches. You can't be both, uh, you can't serve two masters. You have to choose. You either serve God and righteousness, or you serve Satan and worldliness. You have to choose what, you, what you're going to do. But then there are those who may wonder, but Dave, this still really doesn't specifically tell me what I can wear. It doesn't specifically give me uh, the exact guideline for modesty and appropriateness. Well, neither does 1 Timothy chapter 2 or 1 Peter chapter 3. But it gives us a standard, and the standard goes all the way back to the beginning. How many times did Jesus' moral teachings go all the way back to the beginning? Jesus' teaching on marriage and divorce and remarriage. Didn't Jesus say, haven't you heard? And he went where? He went all the way back to the beginning, to Adam and Eve. Why? Because that's where the moral standard had begun. That's where the standards for the family have begun. That's where the standard for society has begun. That's where the standards for government have become. That's where the standard for dress has come. It all goes back to the beginning. Why? Because God had laid out a standard that was acceptable for the human race in his eyes. You see, brothers and sisters, we are expected to learn of God's character and we're expected to learn of his standards and his guidelines and then act accordingly with humility and wisdom as his children. We can be proud and we can be selfish and we can wear whatever pleases us. But just understand when you do so, that will put you in, uh, in, in, in a contrary relationship to God.
You remember in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 where Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. You remember that, right? Luke chapter 9. If, if, if we must debate, if we must debate what the exact line is, how low on the shoulder, how high on the knee, if, if we're looking for exact lines and exact measurements, then we're asking the wrong questions. We're asking the wrong questions because God gave the standard. Top of the shoulder, top of the knee. He didn't, he didn't want to put it up for debate as to what's appropriate. Because any nakedness that appeared on the torso, as you look throughout all of the Old Testament and New Testament, was always considered nakedness. And that was always considered sinful in God's eyes. And so we are expected to learn what his standard is. Brethren, we also must learn to regulate ourselves with a heart for God. When we gave our lives over to Christ voluntarily, we said that we're going to die to self and live for God. Die to worldliness and live for righteousness. And so when you dress and you buy new clothing, think about what motivates you when you wear those clothing. Never forget that your body belongs to, uh, to God. Your body belongs to God first and to your spouse second. And I know this because in the next passage of Scripture uh, that we looked at here, to, that we're going to look at here this morning, we learn that our bodies are not our own. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, the Scriptures tell us, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is, in, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Your body is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. It doesn't say glorify yourself. Make yourself look and feel desirable to the world or to your husband, or to anybody else. But you're to look and to be, and to feel uh, spiritually and physically desirable to God. Because you're first gods, then your spouses. And so brethren, we learn about that in 1 Corinthians 6. We also learn about the second part in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And so ask yourself, is what I'm wearing proper for a person who professes godliness? And what I am wearing, is what I am wearing uh, considered appropriate? And modest, according to God's standard, for a person who professes godliness. If, you, if you're honest with yourself, you'll likely know the answer and what to do next. You see, brethren, I, I briefly want us to consider also Old Testament priests for a second. Because you think about the priests, right, of the Old Testament. Priests were commanded not to climb the steps of the altar in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 26 in such a manner to where their nakedness may be exposed and thus they'll, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll receive the wrath of God. You see, the worship of a holy and righteous God by His people, by His holy people, forbid anything that would profane worship events, thus illustrating the danger of an individual who dared who dare to approach God in an inappropriate manner. And you look at this next passage of Scripture on the screen behind me, it comes by way of Exodus chapter 28. I want you to see what it says in verse 40 through 43. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics. You shall also make sashes for them, and you shall make caps for them, and glorify them in their, for, for glory and for their beauty. You shall put them on Aaron, your brothers, and on his on, on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them. You shall uh, ordain them. You shall consecrate them, that they may serve as priests. Now, listen to this next part. You shall also make for them linen breeches. Think about linen breeches as kind of like modern-day boxers, right? That maybe go down just a little bit lower on the thigh. Modern-day boxers, though. 
You, you shall make for them linen breeches to cover their bare flesh, that they shall reach from the loins even to the thighs. They, meet, they, may be, they shall be on Aaron and on his sons. And when they enter the tent of meeting or when they approach the altar to minister in the holy place, so that they do not incur, incur guilt. And what does it say? And die. You think God was serious about that? You think he was serious about nakedness and bare flesh being exposed? He says, so they do not incur guilt and die. It shall be a statue forever to him and his descendants after him. So brethren, the trousers, the breeches, were their undergarments that were, they wore beneath their tunics in order, and they went from the waist basically to the bottom of the thigh, which is like the top of the knee, right? That's why I keep saying it. From the waist to the bottom of the thighs so they would not die by accidentally exposing themselves. And he wasn't talking about accidentally exposing genital region. He was talking about exposing the thigh. Because in God's eyes, the naked flesh of a man's thighs uh, was considered nakedness, and thus they would have incurred the wrath of God and died. You see a common theme here, brethren? You see, oftentimes we ask the wrong questions. But I wonder how many of us have ever really even studied this, even uh, uh, dove into the scriptures to see what God's standard is. So you look at this, right? The consequences for failure was to incur a wrath and die. God considered the exposed thighs of men to be nakedness. The modesty of God's priest was important enough for God that he set measures in place that would ensure their modesty and ensure their lives. So some might ask, well, Dave, what does the apparel of Old Testament priests have to do with New, Test uh, New Testament uh, religion or with, uh, with the New Covenant and since we're New Testament Christians? Well, I would ask the question, are you aware that there's priests in the New Testament? Are you aware that, uh, or do you even know who the priests are in the New Testament? Now, I'm not saying that we have to abide by the Old Testament and the rules for the priests. But I want you to see that there's a standard of morality for God's chosen priests in the New Testament, is there not? Aren't we to die to self and live for God? Aren't we to live righteously and holy, decently and appropriately unto God? Not looking for acceptability to the world or from the world, but acceptability to God. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, as we get to this one, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, it says, But you, it's speaking to fellow Christians, but you, fellow Christians, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God, uh, God's own special people that you may declare the uh, praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into his light. And then in verse 10 it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you've received the mercy of God. And so, brethren, every Christian is a priest of God. But understand, I'm not saying that we must follow all of the, or the Old Testament regulations for the priesthood. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that God gives moral requirements for those professing godliness and those who choose to be his people and his representatives to the world. So we must ask ourselves, when are we priests? When are we not priests? When are we priests and when are we not priests? When do we act like priests? When do we not act like priests? Is there any time that we should not be God's representatives to the world? Is there any times that we should not uphold his moral, righteous standard for godliness? Brother, never forget, 
When we choose to put on Christ in baptism, we die to self and we live for the Lord. Our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. It makes me think, brethren, about 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. Because as we get here, the first and most obvious consequence to immodesty is sin. And we have to understand what the consequences of immodesty is. And the first and foremost, it's sin. Verse John 2 and 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, um, uh, the, the, and the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father. It's not from God. It's from the world. Brethren, immodesty is really a double-edged sword, is it not? Because it affects both, the, it affects both the, the immodest individual as well as those who are sinning because of the immodesty of another. And so sin, it's sinful to be immodest and to promote that in others. It's also another aspect that we can look at is Matthew chapter 5. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery, has already committed sin with her in his mind. And the same goes for men who dress immodestly and cause women to lust after them or to have in, uh, uh, unrighteous thoughts. And trust me, it happens with both sexes. This is not just a woman thing. This is a man and a woman thing. God's standard from shoulder to top of knee went out to all mankind, both men and women. So make no mistake about it. We are going to be judged by the intentions of our hearts. And we also know that immodesty, brethren, as we think about its consequences, it causes people to stumble. It causes people to fall away from God. You know how many people have left uh, the faith because of their attraction to somebody of the opposite sex? And you think about this, brethren. Immodesty can cause someone to lose their salvation. And I'm here to tell you, that's not hyperbole, it's a fact. All you have to do is open up the pages of the Old Testament, and literally there's examples, it's replete with examples, filled with dozens upon dozens of examples of the Israelites forsaking God, falling away because of the immoral, immodest, and idolatrous behavior of these pagan nations that surrounded them, and they were in these stumbling blocks that were before them, and it wasn't long before they completely fell away and left a holy and righteous God. So you see, brethren, these Jews, they knew God's standard, and yet they stumbled. And yet they fell away, and they chose worldliness over godliness. And in a similar manner, how many Christians today choose immodesty, choose cultural acceptability over righteousness and modesty, over decency, over modesty of actions and behaviors? You see, brethren, too many people are concerned with being found uh, acceptable in the eyes of culture. And so I, I look at a couple more examples before I close this down. Brother, Scripture is clear to cause someone to stumble, to cause somebody to sin, bears the same consequence as those who do stumble. I know this because that basically sums up Romans chapter 14. And in Romans chapter 14 and verse 13, the Scriptures tell us, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle, not to put a stumbling block in a brother's way. You see, brethren... When we dress or act immodestly, we do not, uh, we do not only, uh, we're not only guilty of personal sin, but we cause others to sin as well. Another consequence of immodesty is sexual crimes. I cannot tell you, brethren, there is no way to really quantify the amount of pain and the amount of suffering that is brought upon humanity by immodesty in the form of sexual crimes. There's a multi-billion dollar industry called pornography, which is built around immodesty. Human trafficking is a thing because of the immodest, unrighteous, immoral behavior and nature of human beings. 
Immodesty is also linked to more than just sexual crimes. You guys remember the story of David and Bathsheba? You remember uh, how Bathsheba was immodestly uh, uh, dressed and she was bathing, washing herself on her rooftop. And King David see, looks down upon her, lusting after her, calls upon her. And the next thing you know, before we know it, not only has sin come into the picture through lust and then through uh, sexual activity, but then through murder. Because at the end of it, we know that Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, was dead. Uriah was an honorable man. He was an honorable man, and he was unjustly murdered because of the sins of David and Bathsheba. You see, brethren, we must ask ourselves, how many people must suffer because of someone else's immodesty? How many children must be molested because of somebody else's immodesty? How much needless pain and suffering have innocent people had to endure because of someone else's immodesty and inappropriateness? You see, brothers and sisters, immodesty, whether it's a person's actions, whether it's a person's speech, whether it's a person's dress, is primarily used for one thing. It's mainly used to appeal in some way to another of the opposite, of, to the opposite sex, nowadays, unfortunately, even of the same sex, to look desirable in some way. To be desirable in some way unto them. And maybe some will say, but it's desirable. My desirableness is for my husband. Yes, but guess what? Everybody else sees you too. And then you actually put that stumbling block before, uh, before those who have that weakness of the flesh. And so, brethren, it is wrong to be immodest and wrong, equally wrong to succumb to, 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 succumb to immodesty. It is sin. And so as I close this down, brethren, what have we learned? We've learned that there is one true God who made the worlds and all the things that are in it. And in the beginning, he gave to all mankind the standard for a modesty. He gave us the standard for appropriateness. And he gave the standard for all humanity, for both men and women. And we must know God's standards for modesty. We must know God's standard for a righteous and modest behavior and speech. Because if we don't know these things, then it's too easy to fall into, well, sin without even knowing it. And so know the consequences. Know and understand the consequences of a modest behavior, speech, and dress. And brethren, next week we're going to finish this, uh, this sermon series, and we're going to conclude it with understanding what is a Christian's responsibility to God? What is a Christian's responsibility to God and to others, as well as are we willing to take a stand against it? Are we willing to tap others on the shoulders? I'm here to say that, that the preacher shouldn't talk to every man and woman and tap them on the shoulders, but other women in the congregation can go to the younger women, or even maybe even an older woman who's in violation of this, to have a conversation in love about the way that they're dressed. And the same thing with the older men. Should be tapping younger men on the shoulders and having conversations with them in love about God's standard for righteousness. And that standard from shoulder to knee is both for men and women. And so I know you might not want to hear it because, well, we've allowed the culture, we've allowed cultural acceptability to invade the church. We've allowed worldly standards to become the church's standards. And brethren, I'm here to tell you that it's wrong. It's wrong and it's wrong because not I, the preacher, don't like it. It's wrong because this is the standard that God has set forth for mankind. If there's anybody hearing this message here today and you have questions afterward, Love to have a conversation on it. I'd love to be able to help you. Love to study out the scriptures with you if, that, if need be. Uh, if there's anybody that's here today and you're not a child of God, but maybe that's your desire. 
Maybe you want to give your life over to Christ because you realize there's sin in your life. You realize that you're spiritually lost and you want to enter into a covenant relationship with God. It begins in the baptistry where you go to have your sins washed away, where you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and God himself will add you to the kingdom. And so if that's your desire, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.